Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Acts chapter 8 today. I don't want to get too deep into I don't want to get too deep into politics or, or controversial subjects, but I do want to say I sure hope Russia goes home soon. Um, I I expected this to go the way of the Crimea invasion and I have been quite surprised and amazed that it hasn't gotten been been done that quick. The Ukrainians have put up quite a fight. Uh, they've had lots of help in the background, different than, different than Russia's invasion of Crimea. Uh, the tech levels have been surprisingly vastly different. I think the world's been kind of surprised at how far behind technologically Russia has been. But I think one of the biggest factors, and I think we've seen this so much in, in, the, in the news, is the, is the vastly different levels of morale. I don't think the Russian soldiers wanted this. I think their leaders did, but I don't think the Russian soldiers wanted to invade Ukraine, um, whereas the Ukrainians want to keep their land, from what I can tell. So I really hope, for the sake of world economy, for the sake of world food supply, um, certainly energy crisis that we have, I certainly hope that, that, there's a with, that there's a Russian withdrawal coming soon. Um, I think that the Russians are starting to look at a no-win situation, and that's all, not always a good thing. Um, but, but I think that we recognize that one of the problems of this, when we talk about Russian leadership, is pride. Uh, Pete, no one wants to admit that they lost. I think that that's what... We're, we're, I mean, this, this has not been the, the instant victory that Russia thought that they would have, and at some point, if things continue the way they are, they might have to admit that they didn't win this one. And if you didn't win, the word is lost. <laughs> and, and that may be what they might have to say. And when you say that you lose, it's a lot like surrendering. And, and that is a word that no one likes to hear. We, we hate talk of surrender. So I think most people know I am a board game fan. Fan- fanatic might, might be a better way. If you've been in my office and you've seen the 80 or so board games I have on my shelf. I I like board games. I like card games somewhat. I like to... I, I like... And I was raised on this. Family, family night at my house was various board games, various obscure board games that nobody's heard of except my family. And, and we're competitive. I mean, we played Monopoly, and if you owed $1, you lost. Game, game's done. Pam's family, drastically different. They'll take IOU notes. They'll wave it aside so that the game can keep going. And then so Pam was always surprised that my family would play Monopoly in an afternoon. She said, how do they not last a week? Well, because we don't do IOU notes. If you're a dollar in debt, you just lost the game. You're, we're done. And so we've talked about the fact that in my family, <laughs> she's grinning from here, my family, my parents listen to this sermon too, by the way, 
super competitive. We've had this conversation. My family is super competitive. Uh, at Christmas reunions, we play a game called Ten Point Pitch. It's a card game, and goodness, we we cutthroat, um, vicious, and, and Pam's over here nodding. And her family is not that way at all, and they're much they're much nicer <laughs> when it comes to games, um, and and competitive and competitive because losing is losing. And, and if you lose a game, now, you two over there, <laughs> Jim and Ellen, you know what I'm, I mean, we've had this conversation that there's the winning mindset and the we're playing for fun mindset. And, and, and those two groups don't get along always when you play a game, right? So we've gone from war, where surrender is a bad thing, to even games, where surrender is a bad thing. But now we have to put ourselves in a Christian mindset. Surrender is a good thing if you're a Christian. But see how difficult that comes. If we're Christians and we're told, surrender your life to Jesus, surrender doesn't come easy. Whether we're talking about a fight, a battle, or whether we're just talking about a game of chess, surrender goes against us. It, it, it's, it's not fun. It, 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 there, our pride gets in the way, and we don't want to. Oh, I know, when you're in checkmate, you have no choice to surrender in a in a game of chess. But, but what we're talking about when we biblically talk about giving our life to Christ and surrendering to him, let's not fool ourselves. That is hard. It is, human pride takes over and wants us to keep it on us. It's our, can I say, game? Although the Bible refers to our life as spiritual warfare. Maybe that is the better example. Very difficult to put our pride behind us, get ourselves in the mind space where we put to death self and we take on Christ. And what that means, because we want, you know, I've used the example before, that we don't mind Christ as boss, because your boss gets you 40 hours a week. But then at 5 o'clock you get to go home and it's your time. But if Jesus is Lord, not boss, he gets all of it. And that's hard to get into as, as an American in the year 2022 because it's all about us. And we're so selfish as a people. As a Christian, surrender is a necessary word, but it's still just as hard to get into. So today we're in Acts chapter 8. And we're in, now most of Acts is about the ministry of, of Peter or Paul. But here we have Acts chapter 8 and it's the ministry of Philip. And We'll look at, we've got a couple examples of Philip's ministry and I think the surrender that brings renewal. So look with me at Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now, for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. 
And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord, perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you've said may happen to me. And when they testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Simon gets a bad rap. Maybe rightfully so. Tradition, there's a a long-standing tradition. The early church enjoyed speculating what happened next? There are, you hear about these lost books of the Bible. The lost books of the Bible were kind of fictional speculations and kind of adventure stories, sometimes of what happened next. They're not scripture. I don't think that they were meant to be read as scripture. I think I wish they hadn't been written because they sometimes confuse people. But I don't think the early church uh, took them seriously. But in some of those early church writings, they continue Simon's story. I, again, I think it's fiction. But in those stories, Simon never gets over this. He, he never becomes a good person. He's this bad guy. He never fully repents. And I, I don't know. I, I hope that he saw the truth. I hope that when he says, pray for me, that this doesn't happen. I hope that he had a good ending with, with God. I hope, I hope that he repented of his sin. When he heard the gospel of Christ, he converted. I think Acts is clear on that. Uh, and... And in this, I think, I think that there's a lot of Simon that we can see in us. He had a good thing going. He was a powerful person. And yet, despite all that power, he converts to Christianity, leaving that behind. Some, something was missing, I, I would assume, in his life. He sees his fellow Samaritans convert to Christ. He sees that they're excited and presumably sees in that something that was lacking in his own life. Does he know enough to convert? Well, it says that he believes. It says that he's baptized. Does he know everything? Clearly not. But who of us did when we became a Christian? We, we don't become a Christian when we exhaustively know the faith, because we never will. We become a Christian when we know enough to see our need that we are lost without Christ. And I think that Simon started off there, but the day that you become a Christian is not the end of the spiritual journey, is it? It's the beginning. And Simon began his journey, but like all of us, it wasn't an easy journey. And, and the old sinful self came back. Although in Simon's case, it was very sinful, wasn't it? Simon knew enough in the moment, but he he just couldn't afford to rest on that. His initial steps of faith, he couldn't end there, and we see that. Um, 
he needs to grow. He says he's following Philip around. He's learning from Philip. He's, he's amazed at the miracles. He believes and is baptized. He's young in the faith. He's immature. But we all are when we come to Christ. That's to be expected. You have to look at where he came from. He had been on top of another religion. He was a big guy. He had fame. He had money. He had status. Maybe he was a nice person. We don't know. But at the end of the day, Simon is a general in Satan's army. I mean, he, he, he is not just a pagan, and I mean that in a non-Christian sense. He's a pagan leader. He is a spiritual leader of a false religion. And, and then he hears Peter, and his world is rocked. He sees the truth, and part of that means he sees that he is not the truth. He is falsehood. So he starts off. He starts off on the right foot. But then he gets caught up, doesn't he? In, back in the, propag- in, the, in the dog and pony show. He gets caught back up in the production and, and, and the, the showmanship of it. Um, he sees religion as a means to an end. We see that today. People who start out great in their faith, they come to Christ, they're serious about it, but then they get caught up in the show and they lose sight of the purpose and it becomes religion without a relationship. Religion without faith. It's just going through the motions. What Simon saw when the Holy Spirit came on people was so outside of the box from, what he, from how he thought religion should work. He saw true power and the old Simon reasserted himself and, and he wanted what Peter had but for the wrong reason. It blew his mind. He had never experienced true faith. To him, religion was about money, feelings, but not about truth. He saw and wanted an easy formula for success. But what God wanted was to renew people, to restore them, to bring them back to him. And that's... And that's what Simon had to, that's what Peter told Simon he had to get. We know that the Spirit was working in Simon's life. What we don't know is how this ends. When Simon says, please pray for me that all these terrible things that you said about me won't come true, we don't know. There are some legends and tales that Simon didn't end up in the right way, but we don't know. Those are just legends and tales. The question is, how do we apply this towards us? We... We can fall into religion as a ritual, as a routine, devoid of faith in a relationship. I put in my time. I put in my money. I'm paying in, in time. I, I attend church. I give to the offering plate. I have earned my place in heaven. I don't need to pray for my... I don't, I don't need to pray. I don't need to read the Bible. That's what I'm paying the church to do for me. It's very easy to turn this into a transaction. Um, but what we're called for is a relationship. I think one of the funniest things I saw heading into Thanksgiving was there was, on social media, I saw a guy that was advertising. He worked at a hospital, and he said... Uh, he said for 50 bucks or whatever, um, I will FaceTime you ladies and call you during Thanksgiving and apologize that I couldn't be with your family because I'm working late in the hospital. You're pretending to be a boyfriend 
is what it was, but not showing up at Thanksgiving, just pretending that there was a relationship and that they had that 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 women could could claim to have a, a, a boyfriend who was a nurse or a doctor or whatever. Obviously, you know, pe- and people do. I mean, we people do that fake relationships, right? Where where they pretend that they have something. You, you hear jokes about people going home and lying. Oh yeah, mom, I really got a, bo- a boyfriend or, or a girlfriend and. And we live in a world where people fake relationships. Do we think that we can acquire God's blessings with money or attendance? So many Christians think that they're doing God a favor by coming to church, by putting money in the offering plate when when he owns everything. For too many, their heart is not right with God's. They want the benefits of being a Christian without the relationship with God through his son Jesus. You can't buy a ticket into heaven. It is a covenant relationship. Covenant, it's not on our terms. God sets the terms, but it's not, it's not, a, con- it's not a contract. It's not a sign your name on the line. It is a covenant relationship, which is what a marriage is. A marriage isn't a wedding license. It's a covenant relationship. And that's what righteousness is, is walking with Christ. Now, because we're walking with Christ, there is obedience expected from us. God's ways are always right. If I'm not walking with God, I'm wrong. It doesn't matter if I think I'm wrong. If the Bible says something and I think that the Bible is wrong, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that's wrong. The Bible is always right. God's ways are always right. They are always holy, and if I'm not in step with him, I am sinning, and I am wrong. Christ is not for sale. And disciples can't be either. Disciples are not for sale. We're sold out, but we're not for sale. We're not trying to advance ourselves. The goal of the disciple is to draw close to God. And so we ask ourselves, how are we doing? And so let us keep reading. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. 
And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I like this this account in the book of Acts. There is something infectious about the joy that this Ethiopian eunuch has. Now, I have a lot of questions about this account. There are a lot of things I'd like to know about this guy, beyond the fact that I wish we knew his name. <laughs> we'll start with that. I wish, I wish they gave us his name. Um, why, why was he in Jerusalem? I, I, I know what it says. He was in Jerusalem worshiping. Yes, but why? He's Ethiopian. It doesn't say that he was Jewish working for Candace. It says that he was an Ethiopian working for the Ethiopian queen. And Ethiopia was a thousand miles from Israel, from Jerusalem. And between Ethiopia and Israel was Egypt, the desert. So this man traveled a thousand miles through the desert to worship at Jerusalem. He must have been important for Queen Candace to let this guy travel a thousand. I mean, that wouldn't be quick in the days, right? Chariots in the days when there weren't cars in the desert. Not great roads, I don't think, through the desert, probably. Um, how long would that take to travel? So he was gone for a long time, That he was, eight, but he's in charge of the treasury. So he must have been important. He must have been appreciated by Candace that she allowed him. How did he come to faith? How did, how did an Ethiopian come to the faith of Israel? I, Again, people have speculated there are legends about this guy, tales, but at the end of the day, the Bible doesn't give us the details. I, I just have so many questions about how this man, how this Ethiopian important person found himself traveling on the desert road from Jerusalem while, uh, uh, while reading the book of Isaiah. Not a casual worshiper, clearly, clearly was not casual if if he was willing to travel a thousand miles to Jerusalem. I want to know more about him, but there's a lot that we're missing. We're still in the ministry of Philip. He is directed by God, sent sent, sent to the right place at the right time. Now, having said sent to the right place at the right time, he's the right guy for the job because he was prepared. He knew the Bible. God didn't send someone who wasn't prepared. And it is that reminder to us that we need to be prepared as well. We could find ourselves in situations, and we want to be as well prepared. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. But when put in a situation like this, can we handle it? Are we, are we, are we prepared for this? Guided by the Spirit into a spiritual encounter, he, Philip, wasn't unarmed. He was armed with the word of God. He knew his scripture. That gave God something to work with through Philip. And so he explains the whole gospel to him. He explains who she, That doesn't mean that he quoted the book of Mark or something like that. There were no gospels written yet. But he knew the story of Jesus, the account of Jesus. He knew the account of Jesus. He knew who Christ was. He knew why Christ came. He knew man's need. 
and, expl- and explained to this man how to come to Christ. He gives him the whole gospel. And notice what the whole gospel includes. Because when he's done, the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, there's water. Why not? Can I, can't I get baptized now? Which tells me that baptism is part of the whole gospel. There's no, other, there's no other conclusion I can draw. You can't say baptism is some kind of tack on. Because that's the response to hearing the whole gospel, which means that he heard the whole gospel. He heard about baptism, and that's his immediate question. And we see this again and again throughout the book of Acts. We saw this in the previous passage, that Simon heard, believed, and was baptized. In fact, if you go through the entire book, if we talk about hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, repenting of sins, confessing Christ as Lord, getting baptized, and look at everybody who becomes a Christian in the gospels, of those five things, there's one that's always consistently there. We assume everybody repented of their sins, but it doesn't say that all, all the time. We assume they confessed Christ as Lord. We assume they believe. We're not always told that. We are always told that they are baptized every, every time. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And that is the question that God calls out, even to us today. God offers us redemption. Why, why wouldn't we want to be cleansed of our sins and restored to him. This eunuch knew that he had a need. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah. He saw that there was a need. He was a spiritual man, but he also knew that he was missing something. There wasn't enough. That means that the Old Testament is missing something. The Old Testament is is the word of God. It is complete in its sense that it's the Old Testament, but it points to Jesus. It it, it points out man's problem, that we are sinners and that we need saving. And it points to the one who will save, that is Jesus the Messiah. The Old Testament showed the need of man, but even the eunuch could see that it didn't show the fulfillment. Isaiah prophesied about the one who would bear our sins, the one that we need The eunuch is a lot like us. We live life so fast that we don't want time to think. We don't want quiet time. But but when when we're forced into it, when we have that bit of quiet, and when we think about it, we might ask ourselves, what's it all for? Christmas time can get very busy with all the running around and the lights and the presents. And if we slow down, we should be asking ourselves, what's the point of it all? What's it all for? Why... Why do I feel unfulfilled? And the answer that, you know, and and if we're Christians, uh, I I pray that we don't feel unfulfilled. Non-Christians, we should be asking, what were you made for? We feel unfulfilled because we're we're not living our purpose, and we were created to be in a loving relationship with God our Father. We need to be, we were made more for this. We were made for more than this. Try that again. We were made to be Christians, restored to God. Sin has a hold on us. It gets in the way. We need to be rescued by the Son, redeemed and restored to God. That's what the eunuch needed. That's what Isaiah saw. Philip taught the eunuch how to come to Christ, how to come to God through Christ. Uh, and, And it's more than just what you think, isn't it? If it was think, the story would have, the account would have ended without the baptism. But it's more than just what you think. Here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? It's part of the gospel. 
And when he accepted Christ as his Savior, he went on his way rejoicing. Of course he went on his way rejoicing. He had restoration. This is fulfillment. This is what the Old Testament was pointing towards. This is what he was made for, what we are made for. That promise still exists for us today. The same man died for our sins too. This, the hopelessness of life, gone. It's gone when we accept our destiny to be restored to God, to come back to him. But it's only through Jesus, we are told. We're told throughout the Gospels, throughout Acts, throughout the rest of the New Testament, that salvation alone, uh, salvation can be found alone in the name of Jesus Christ, that he is the way and the truth and the life. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 709. It is an invitation to be restored to God, to be the people that we were meant to be. That only comes from a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And, yes, let's not pull punches, the full gospel, the whole gospel, includes a conversation about baptism. Baptism is, throughout the book of Acts, part of the process. There's belief and repentance, and, but baptism is part of the process of coming to Christ. You can't have that discussion. You skip too much of Acts if you cut that discussion out. Um, we read that in both of these accounts and throughout Acts. It's, it's not a tack on Baptism is part of the, tr- of the whole gospel. It's how we become disciples. It's always there. So if you haven't been fully obedient to the Lord, I want to talk with you after church. Let's talk about what that looks like. If you have any questions, that's what, that's what we're here for. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.